Well, we welcome all of you today to the house of the Lord. It's good to be together. Our special guests, parents that are here, camps that are here. We love our clubs. We love our camps. And we're thankful for you. I am the product of a Bible camp. I grew up at a Bible camp. So I've been to hundreds of weeks of camp. And do me any harm. I mean, I'm okay, right? If you have your scriptures, I invite you to turn with me to John 16. Thank you for our, from our brothers who are away, assisting us in our worship as well. Trust if you're able to be together tonight with them, you can. We find ourselves this morning in John's Gospel again. We've been working our way through John's Gospel, looking at the different scenes that John gives to us when God's glory is on display, when, when God is seen in his brightness and in his greatness. And we come to John 16 this morning. I'm reading through a few verses and then we'll speak on them and hopefully bring some further light to them. John chapter 16, verses 16 through to 24. John 16, 16 to 24. Jesus is going away from his men soon. He's less than a day from going to the cross. He's got his men gathered together. Judas is gone. He's betraying him. And so he shares with them his heart. He equips them for what they're about to face. He says in verse 16, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, because I go to the Father. Then some of the disciples said among themselves, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me, because I go to the Father. They said therefore, what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he is saying. And Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while, and you will not see me in a little while, and you will see me? Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament or mourn, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. This is God's word. Father, help us now to see what's before us. Bless those that are here. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Tell us what you want to tell us individually and personally. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this these ministries, I pray that you'd use us to impact our watching world. 
pray that your word would find lodging in our hearts and produce fruit, fruit to repentance, fruit to cleansing and sanctification. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Do you like to trade? You don't have to answer that. You know how you trade? I have an old wood stove, and I'll give you the old wood stove if you'll give me those couple of stacks of old shingles that you have out back. I'll give you an old bike with only one flat tire if you'll give me the use of your front-end loader. If you give a few cords of hardwood, I'll give you something from my pile around my house. I'll give you four old video games for the newest version. I know that country folks love to trade. And in our local assembly here, we have some avid exchangers, traders. You need to know that not every trade is good. Some of them don't work out that well. Some do, but some don't. I remember my father traded our small motorboat for a motor scooter. He was bringing it home, um, went over the handlebars, broke his collarbone and wrecked the motor scooter before it ever got home. My mom was not impressed. I remember that even as a seven or eight-year-old. Scripture speaks of many trades. Esau trades his birthright for a bowl of stew. David trades his kingdom's peace for momentary pleasure. Judas trades his soul for 30 pieces of silver. And in coming to John 16 today, we come to a passage that speaks about a great exchange, a great trade, to trade sorrow, heaviness, mourning, and lamenting for joy. That's the tone of the passage today. The setting, as I've mentioned, is significant. Jesus is preparing his guys for his departure. He's going away. Something traumatic is going to occur. They're just about to head out to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will be arrested and the disciples are going to be scattered. I mean, things are going to get real, real fast. And he wants to equip them for that. They won't fully understand it until later, but he plants bombs of truth that will go off later in their minds and in their hearts. He's already cleaned their physical feet, shown them what it's like to serve, and now he's cleaning their spiritual feet. He's preparing them, laying out his agenda, his plans. They give no indication, even as we read in the text, that they understand what he's talking about. There's a lot of confusions and question marks in the text that I read. And yet this is not the first mention of his departure. In John 7.33, in John 13.33, Jesus said that he was leaving them. Why is this the big deal? Because they have spent three years together, walking and talking and listening. He has shown them, loved them, cared for them, displayed his majesty to them. He's taught them. He's corrected them. He's lived with them. He says he's going away. And that's traumatic for them. We said last week that although Christ's presence, he was going away, he was going to send 
God the Spirit to help them, another helper. We said help was on the way. But we can tell from this passage that they still don't get it. They haven't connected the dots. And so in this passage, Jesus holds before his men, and by extension us, this great promise. The promise of, is of trading their sorrow and their trouble for joy. Now we know that the enemy of our souls wants to use suffering and loss and death to undo us, but God allows suffering to make us, to grow us. God is capable of taking the worst parts of human life and converting them into joy unspeakable and indescribable. And I've got just two points this morning for you, two vital pressure points from John 16. I wrote this over verses 16 to 20. The Lamb of God says that sorrow is inevitable. The Lamb of God says that sorrow is inevitable. It's going to happen. He says to his men, in a little while you're not going to see me, but then in a little while you're going to see me. And the guys are like, eh. and then he says, I'm, in a little while you're not going to see me, I'm going to go to the Father. And then he talks about joy, unspeakable, irrevocable joy that cannot be changed or translated. And all the while the disciples are, what the text tells us is that Jesus tells his men, I'm leaving you. I read page after page this past week about that little phrase, in a little while, a little while, a little while. Did you notice that it's repeated often? And when things are repeated in Scripture, you have to pay attention to that because it's emphasized intentionally. But that phrase, in a little while, after working my way through it again and again and reading about all these fanciful ideas about it, what it might be, I, I think I settled it. Here's what I think a little while means. It means a little while. That's, I think, because the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. I think if you're trying to understand what is it that Jesus is telling his men, and what's he telling us today, he's telling us in a little while. Here's what I think. If you read the verse this way, I think you'll find it helpful. For those of you who are scratching your head about, what's he talking about? Jesus says, in a little while... I'm leaving. In less than 24 hours, Jesus will be dead. He will die on the cross. He'll be cruelly arrested. He'll be cruelly treated. He will die in ignominious, which is an embarrassing death, lifted up between heaven and earth on a cruel Roman cross. It will be an ugly death, a vicious death. And the disciples who will scatter will be made aware of that death. They'll, they'll even be eyewitnesses to the horror of that in part. And so when Jesus says, in a little while, you're going to be sorrowful. Do you think you would be sorrowful if you spent time, intimate time with someone for three years? That you loved and were loyal to and saw as the Lamb of God? Do you think you wouldn't feel trauma? The disciples... Because the lamb is making his way towards the altar to lay down his life for our sins, the disciples would be traumatized by that. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about a very real death 
and a very real resurrection. Scripture doesn't leave us room for imagination, spiritualizing the text. A real flesh and blood God-man laid down his life for us. And then after three days, that flesh and blood God-man was resurrected. So in terms of what are we talking about here, we're talking about something that's supernatural beyond the natural. The disciples had already seen Jesus on a couple of occasions whenever he was in danger, just kind of walk through the crowd, sort of find his way away from the anger or the animosity of the crowd. Now he's walking towards danger. And so Jesus says that their sorrow is going to be real. Their sorrow is going to be real because he's going away from them, but he's only going temporarily away from them. Jesus keeps surprising his men. He keeps leading them and coaxing them from what they know into what they do not know. Verse 20 says that his disciples would weep and lament, but that the world would rejoice. There would be a collection of people who would rejoice. The the Jewish leadership, the religious leaders who hated him, who were offended by him, who couldn't stand him, they thought they'd silenced him. And so because of that, they rejoice. It's temporary. The disciples would be mourning and grieving because Jesus would die. But you'll notice that John is connecting this truth to the idea of of death. Mourning and grieving is, is found throughout God's word. We recognize that as the people of faith, that one of the big uglies that God's word confronts, that the gospel confronts, is this issue of death. And I'm not trying to be morbid in any way, shape, or form, but there is this shadow of the cross that is lifted up week by week in this place because Jesus conquers death. That's why we sing as we do. That's why we rejoice as we do. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ was settled fact. We recognize here that everyone at some point just stick around long enough and Everyone here contends with suffering. You say, I didn't need to be told that. I don't need to be reminded of that. Well, it's true, though, isn't it? All of us have suffering and heaviness and a backdrop of trauma to our lives in different ways. How will we deal with that? What help is there? What hope is there with that? Those are questions that all of us ask. And so there is this dramatic mountain that towers over this passage, the cross is going to change everything. The disciples don't get it yet, but they will in time. And so we first have this this minor note, this negative note, this heavy note. The Lamb of God is making his way towards the place to sacrifice. He's doing it for his men. And ultimately, he's doing it for us. Because there's something wrong with us. Scripture identifies it as sin. We cannot clean ourselves. And so the text begins with that kind of heaviness, but it, tr- it translates, it transfers in verse 20. latter part of the verse it says, And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Brothers and sisters, friends that are here today, this is the great hope of the gospel. That we don't 
We don't live in the shadow of the cross without an awareness of what the shadow of the cross and what Christ's death and what the Lamb's death means. It means that there can be joy, that there will be joy, that there should be joy for those who come to recognize that. The verse continues from their present confusion, from their coming grief. That grief's going to have a brief shelf life. Their bereavement would not last. So think of it this way. Sorrow will come but not stay. Joy will follow and remain. That's the force of this text. Your sorrow, Jesus tells his men, will be turned into joy. God's work was not merely to replace their sorrow with joy, but the text is sure when it says that, that in fact, it would turn sorrow into joy. The very thing that makes you sorrowful, God will make you joyful over. There's this beautiful exchange here. Think about it. The very thing that causes us pain becomes the means of grace that God uses to cause us joy and thanksgiving. Think of it this way in some situations in our own lives. We weep over our sin, and Jesus comes to us and says, if you trust me, you'll be forgiven of your sins. We're horrified by our frailty, and then we see God display his strength through us. We fall down flat on our faces and we feel as though we cannot rise. And what does Jesus say in John 11? Lazarus, come forth. We have a keen sense of our insufficiency. and We're overwhelmed by his superabundance. See, it's in the shadow of what we lack and what we don't have and what we are in desperate need of that joy comes. He's always exchanging beauty for ashes. We come to him and we say, Lord, I confess, I'm a sinner condemned before your righteousness and holiness undone. And it's at that moment that joy breaks forth. That's the great exchange. Later in John 20 and verse 20, behind closed doors, the disciples still afraid about the Jewish leadership and if they were next on the list. This is after Christ's death. After the initial shock and awe, we read that Jesus comes to them in their hiding place. And it says in the text, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And he brings to them shalom. He brings to them peace. These are guys, if you don't know it, these are guys that will face cruel martyrs' deaths. These are guys who are going to live with incredible courage and conviction these are men that are going to turn the ancient world upside down. They would not and they could not do it if they had not seen the risen Lord. This was a joy that was irrevocable. It cannot be stolen from them. It cannot be extracted from them. It was non-negotiable. It was non-circumstantial. Jesus is intent on saying things to them that would click later in their lives as the narrative plays out. It's a good reminder for us as we see Jesus deal with his disciples, we realize that that's, that's how Jesus deals with people. Hebrews talks about the fact that he is a sympathetic high priest. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. 
He knows our weaknesses. He knows our stress fractures. He knows what we're up against. And he sympathizes with us. Do you not see something of that here as he, he deals with these guys with all the question marks, with all the cloudy thinking, with all the, the foggy way of viewing the next, the coming events? He's sympathetic to them. Hey, guys, hey, guys, a little while. Hey, guys, in a little while, a little while, I'm going to be taken from you. But then a little while, I'm coming back. And it'd be points like this that would click in their minds and in their hearts. Verse 21, Jesus uses a fantastic illustration to drive this home. For those of us who need some word pictures to go along with this truth, listen to how Jesus explains it to his guys, because he knows they don't get it. He says, you don't get it. Verse 21, he says, A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. I know there's some moms here. You, you get this, right? You, you know what Jesus is talking about. This is masterful. The idea that sorrow would be temporary, that sorrow would be for a season, but that it wouldn't last, and that it would be quickly exchanged. I was present at the birth of all four of our children, and I will tell you that my wonderful, courageous, amazing wife, what, what else did she write down here? No. <laughs> I will tell you this. Susie suffered. I could tell from the way she was clinging to my hand that she was suffering. Susie produced big babies. One was eight pounds, our first one, Katie. The other three were nine pounders. And she's not that big of a gal. It was painful. It was painful to watch. I mean, I don't want to take a lot of, you know. <laughs> what a transformation, though. What a transformation. Struggle, anguish, labor, pain. But when the race is run, when the, when the, the, the task is done, it was joy unspeakable. Big, bouncy, profound, expressive, electrifying joy. A new life was here. And moms and dads, you know what I'm talking about. Christ compares the events of his suffering to the birth of a child. We recognize it tracks all through Scripture. Isaiah 53, speaking of the Messiah's ministry, he shall see the travail of his soul. The disciples would weep and lament, but their sorrow would be turned to joy because this one who was going to die was coming back to life, and that changes everything. And that's the wonder of the gospel. Again and again, the joy that God makes available is an irrevocable joy, one that cannot be canceled. Friends, do you know that kind of joy? Have you turned your life over to Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life? We so often hang our joys on thin wires that cannot sustain the wave. It's like a house without a strong back. We'll say things like this, I'll be, I'll be joyful if so-and-so likes me. If I get this thing or this object, I'll experience joy, right? 
The scripture says wrong. If I attain this position, if I secure this insurance, if I own this house, have this vacation, reach this status, bank this amount, then the goalposts keep moving. Barclay says it well, the joy that the world gives is at the mercy of the world. The joy which Christ gives is independent of anything the world can give. That's the force of this passage. Jesus says to his man, I'm going away. That's shocking, disturbing. They're going to see, they're going to see him abused in a horrific way. But then that sorrow will be turned into joy because three days later, up from the grave, he would arise. The text finishes out with this call to asking. It says you need to ask. You have to ask. You have to, you're going to ask in my name. And it says, 23 and in that day you will ask me nothing most surely i say to you whatever you ask the father in my name he will give you until now you've asked nothing in my name ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full asking is humbling maybe the struggle for some of us even this morning is i don't want to ask and all kinds of needs i'm in way over my head in all kinds of ways but i refuse to ask and yet jesus says guys you got to ask in my name they're heading to the garden to pray I don't want to steal the story from you, but they don't do a good job of praying in the garden if you don't know the story. And that's the reason they'll be so quickly scattered. Point being is that Jesus points them towards the very things that would help them, that would help center their soul as the storm is about to break upon them. Reality is, is that God invites us to exchange our sorrow for joy. What a great trait. For those of us that have done that, there is joy. There is an irrevocable joy in that. My hope and prayer is that you know that kind of joy. That you know that he takes the sting out of death. All of us will experience, have experienced it in some level already in terms of friends and loved ones and family members. It's a part of life. We don't like it. We don't want it, but it is. How do you deal with that? Only Jesus Christ can help us deal with that. Jesus brought many of the themes begun in John 15 together here. Themes like loving obedience, asking, receiving, joy, fruit bearing. And what he tells his disciples is that death is going to give way to life. Sorrow will be overcome by joy. Father, we thank you for your word. We feel keenly the truth of Corinthians. We see through a glass darkly. We see foggily. We see unclearly. But there's coming a time when we will see face to face. Father, this is our hope. This is the truth that we rest our souls upon. Father, we thank you for the chance to take your word, which is a lamp and a light. We pray that it would light the way back to you. I thank you for the way that you ministered to your men. I thank you, Lord God, as I think about Christ's ministry, his, his keen affection for the disciples. I pray that we'd sense your own affections for us today. 
there's one here that hasn't trusted in you as Savior, I pray that today they would look and live, that they would see in the cross work of Jesus Christ payment for sins. Father, for those of us as Christians who, who know well sorrow and sadness and trauma and trouble, I pray, Lord God, that we would come to you again and again, come asking Come with empty buckets, seeking you to fill us. Father, we ask all of this in the name of the one who has loved us first and best. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.